Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everybody, welcome back to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I am out of my mind excited to sit down today with a guy that has, well, I'd say he's become a friend in a very short amount of time, Mel Abraham. Now, a lot of you already know who he is, but he's one of the most sought after entrepreneurial advisors out there. And we're talking for like the big boys. We're talking for the big names. But before we go there, I just want to remind you, we are always building that list that waiting list for my 2019 Elite Business Mastermind. Now, 2018 is totally sold out, but do not wait to apply for 2019 because the list is getting big and it's gonna be first come, first serve. So, if you have a traditional business, whether it's online, whether it's brick and mortar, and you are a multiple six-figure earner trying to get to seven once and for all, or if you've barely squeaked over seven and you wanna learn how to like be in the comfortable seven figures, then this is the mastermind for you. Sign up for the waiting list by going to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind, and there's an application you can fill out that puts you on the waiting list. You'll get a confirmation. Again, that's fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. Don't wait because it's first come, first serve, and the list is already getting big. All right, so like I said, I am super excited to sit down with Mel. Mel's just like, th the minute you meet him, he's this great dude. And we were introduced at first at an event, matter of fact, a Brennan Bouchard event, by a mutual friend of ours, Candy, who has also been on this show. And... The minute I met him, I knew he was a special guy. And then I went on to find out after that just how special he was. You know, he's written a number one national best-selling uh, book called The Entrepreneur's Solution. Go check that out. He creates and implements growth strategies for companies to take them from startups to, you know, multiple millions, if not billions. Matter of fact, one company took from 50 million to over 200 million in a rather quick amount of time. And when I first met Mel, well, he was on this stage. I mean, literally on the stage teaching at Brennan Bouchard's event. And every word he said was captivating. I mean, I sat there on the edge of my seat like, who is this guy and why is he so brilliant? So he told this amazing story of his successful career, but also a lesson from a six-year-old boy during that career and the realizations that came out of that lesson. I can't wait for you to hear that story. It's so good. And then we also talk about, you know, what all the most successful thought leaders and business people that he works with have in common. You're going to like the answer to that. And we even go down the rabbit's hole of work-life balance and asking for help and all these things that most of us struggle with. So this is going to be one of those great episodes where you learn a little bit about a lot and you're going to walk away feeling empowered, like you've got a better grip on your business and on determining your success. So get ready, sit down, because this episode is epic. All right, Mel, my friend, I am so excited to have you on. Ever since I saw you on stage, I was like, I have to have this guy on. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, my friend? God, I'm good. You know, we were introduced by our friend, our mutual friend, Candy. And I was telling you before we got started in the interview here, that was literally one of the highlights of my weekend. Like, take this the right way, please. I didn't know of you before <laughs> that weekend. And as I got to know you that weekend and saw your accomplishments and saw the way you address people and saw the way you teach, I was like, 
this guy is a freaking superstar. I have got to show him to the world. Like, it's amazing. So I'm really excited to get into your story and get into some of the stuff because other people are going to feel the exact same way I know it. Dude, thank you so much. I mean, it, it's uh, the, those comments, and, and I'm, I'm glad that we've had a chance and we get this chance to do this. So uh, You and me both. So my show is a little different than some of the other ones. I've recently switched it, so I start with like rapid-fire type of questions. It's, it's kind of a fun way to help my listeners get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's something that comes up that we want to do a deep dive on, we'll circle back to it. So you down for that? Um, uh, bring it on. All right, here we go. Rapid fire. Where'd you grow up? I actually was born and raised here in the San, San Fernando Valley, and, uh, and my mom still lives in the same house I was raised in. Oh, man. And that's where you're living right now as well? No, I was, I was, uh, that was Chatsworth. I live in Laguna Beach staring out at the water. Ah, my wife and I are actually headed there next weekend. It's where we go after her big annual bliss project, so I can't wait. I love it there. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's, it's a beautiful area. What's one of your superpowers? You know, I think communication and frameworks. A lot of people, I think in frameworks, I build frameworks, I teach in frameworks, I communicate in frameworks, and it's been so effective and we can talk about the story of how I got into that. Um, and a lot of people go, how do you do that? And it's like, I have a friend of mine that says, uh, you're like the cartoonist at Disney. You know, you look at someone, you look at their business, you look at their thinking, and then you draw a cartoon of it. And here's their, their whole life on one page. And I think that's probably one of the things that I do. <laughs> what a great analogy. What is one thing you're afraid of right now? Gosh, uh, probably the biggest thing. And I, I think this has been with me a lot. I, I've said this to many people that I, that I care about. And I said, I'd rather someone be angry with me than them be disappointed in me. And so I think probably the biggest thing is that I just, is, is if I ever disappoint people that I really care about and that I, that I, I, I just don't want to disappoint people. Yeah. I know that feeling. What's one of your favorite books ever? Well, um, is, are you not not talking about my book? Hey, if that's one of your favorites, you got to roll with it. Here's a chance to I, to, to plug well, yourself. My, my my book, The Entrepreneur Solution. Uh, there's, I'll give you another book, but Entrepreneur Solution for certain. This was a manual that I wrote to my son, who's now 27 years old, after a bike accident, to to talk about the mindset, the heart set, and the way to show up as an entrepreneur. And and I and I think that to me has a lot of me in it. So that's that's one. And then I think along the same lines for me would have to be um, start with why Simon Sinek. Yes. Great book. I haven't read yours yet, Confession, but I promise I'm going to. I'm an avid reader. So um, what is one of the things that you, uh, I'm sorry, what is one regret that you have? Uh, not starting sooner. Oh, God, that's the most common answer. Uh, like people dude, who listen to this show on a regular basis, they're starting to see a trend. It, I mean, it, it, it's so, so true um, because... We, in fact, I just put a post out this, this week about the whole, you know, haters and naysayers and ridiculers and all of that. And, and, and just getting out there. I mean, how, how often do we hold on to our dreams and just never let them loose and let them fly and let them run. And, and I, I you know, I, I feel like I, I could have, I could have started sooner. Yeah. All of us, all of us. Who's somebody who's changed your life? Wow. Um, my son and my dad uh, are probably the two biggest influences, and then my wife. 
Oh, I love it. And we're going to get into that story about your son in a little bit here. It's so good. I can't wait to circle back around on that one. What is something generous that you've done recently? Um, <laughs> I'd tell my wife it was that I took out the trash, but, um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I try, I try to serve. I serve it. You, you saw me at an event that, you know, I volunteer at the event. Uh, at, at various events, and I just spent five days doing the same thing, serving an audience of entrepreneurs that are that are trying to figure out how to get their world out to get their message out in the world and how to put it out there. And I think that that's one of the things that I love doing is is getting out there and saying, here's the tools, here's the keys, here's the things that you can do, and and watching the light bulbs go on, watch the excitement come up, and watch them go out and run the race. Yeah, that's so great. I, I mean, that's how we met us. I love that you absolutely do that. That's part of your DNA. Last rapid fire question. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments thus far? Uh, you know, I, I've said this and we'll, like you said, we'll circle around um, to it again. But I always said that if, if my greatest success was my son as a single full-time dad, then I did okay when I was here. And, and I look at him he started his business at 16. He's 27. I'm uh, married almost 20, uh, two years, uh, and and he's independent. He's smart. He's he's got a good heart. I, I I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that I've accomplished, and that are probably the most one of the most important things that I've done. Wow, incredible! So that's a great segue into that story. You know, when when I first met you, you were on stage at a Brendan Bouchard event, and matter of fact, the two of you are pretty pretty close friends. Is that right? We're like, uh, we're like brothers. I yeah, absolutely. And you told this amazing story. I mean, it was captivating of your successful career and a lesson that you learned from a six-year-old boy who happens to be your son. And then the realizations yeah. that came out of it. So what are the chances I could get you to tell that story for our listeners? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, I, I love the story. I love the lesson. I think that there's some, a lot of things that, that come away from it. It's, um, some of the listeners maybe don't know I'm a, I'm a CPA by education. I, I had a firm, I had partners, I was doing some things to try and build the firm. And then they came to me one year and said, you know what, this partnership isn't working out. You're going a different direction than we want to go. And they, they kind of shoved me out the door. They shoved me out the door with no, no work, no work backlog, no cash flow, no clients. And there I was. It was the same year I became a single full-time dad of, of a little boy named Jeremy, five and a half years old. And here I was with over $300,000 in debt, just bought a house, trying to figure out what the hell do I do? How do I do this? How do I, how do I go out and be that entrepreneur and, and live those dreams? And, and what I did was what most people would have done at the time. And you dig your heels in, you put your head down, you start doing the work, you start running the miles. And you start to make things happen, and that's that's how how I started to do it. And I started to get clients, and I started to get projects, and I was traveling, and I was speaking, and and I was doing all those things. And the cash started to come in. I started to feel a little more comfortable. And then one day, Jeremy comes running in from school, and he's this excited child, like on his birthday morning. He comes coming in, running in. He says, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy, I I drew a picture of you at school today." And, and with that excitement, you, you can't help but, but stop everything you're doing, kneel down, get to their level to take it in and to give them that moment. And he hands me this picture, and it's a picture that he drew in blue felt-tip pen. And there I am, a stick figure, standing in front of 
two computer screens, a phone in each ear, and another one on the desk ringing. Wow. Yeah. I, I, and, and I think that, God, so, I mean, you talk about the honesty, the innocence of a child, and the truth that comes out of that, uh, for me, was not only devastating, but it was it was a kind of a, a, a turning point uh, for me to, to look at, because... I, I could have stood up and said, you know what, kid, I get it, but this is for us. This is for our future. This is this is so we can live our lives and it's so we can have our dreams. And but what really was just gnawing at my heart was that that was an excuse because that's not what he needed. He didn't need the prophets. He needed the presence. He needed me to be there with him, to be present with him. And uh, and I think that's when I started to to wrestle with this whole idea that you know, people talk about, and that's work-life balance. And, 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 you know, you got to get work-life balance. And I said, and, and, and I realized that work-life balance is, is a myth. It's not about getting work-life balance. It's actually getting work-life harmony. It's, it's getting things that, that work together because every choice we make in business, every choice that we make as an entrepreneur, as a thought leader, as a, as an expert is a life choice because we affect lives. And, when we understand that our business choices uh, are made differently, you know, whether we want to be successful in business or we want to be successful in thought leadership, that's the easy part. Because when you talk about business, there's two things we manage. We manage the upside. We manage the downside. You know, we figure out how to minimize the risks. We figure out how to maximize the opportunities. That's about mechanics and model. That's that's how business is run. And I, I got that down. I'm a CPA. I, I've run businesses. I've built businesses. I've bought and sold businesses. And it's all below the line. It's, it's how we do business and it's what we do for business. The mistake I made was that everything above the line, which is about legacy and it's about lifestyle, it's about values and it's about meaning and it's why we do business. And that portion of it informs every choice below the line of what we do and how we do it. And if we don't get that right, and that's what Jeremy taught me, if I don't get that why right, if I don't get the meaning right, if I don't get the legacy right, if I don't get the lifestyle right, then all the choices may be good business choices below the line. They may make a profit, but they're going to destroy lives. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, I mean, for me, it was such a, a big deal to wrestle with, can my can my dream to be an entrepreneur coexist with the responsibility and the gift of being a father? And I can stand here, I can sit here today, Chris, and tell you they absolutely can. This is going to be such an inspiration for all the parents out there listening. I want to go back to the moment where your son was excited. He drew a picture of you and there's a picture of you and all the phones and you're working too hard. This big turning point in your life. What was the very next step you took after that realization? Um, I think probably the very next step I took was sitting down and talking with them. Mm. Um, you say? Do you remember? Huh? What was that? What'd you say? Do you remember? Um, I, I, I think it was surprise. I don't exactly remember what I said, but it was kind of like, so this is, this is, this is the way you see dad. I mean, it, it's, it's not us at Disneyland. It's not playing ball. It's, it's not the magic castle. It's not any of that. And he says, no, you're, you're, you're always at the computer. Wow. And, um, and, and I said, I said to him, I said, we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll figure out how to change, change that. Um, 
you know, and, and part of that though, then was me trying to understand what was, what was his needs? Um, what did he need from me? And then trying to, you know, shortly thereafter, I had an office at the time, uh, that was offsite. And, uh, and so shortly thereafter, a couple things happened. One, I took, I moved my office to the home. I changed the way I was doing my work. I pulled him out of daycare and every afternoon from that time forward, he was at home with me and not at daycare. And I wasn't offside at an office. And, and I looked at it and I said to myself that if this is the highest value, if this is what I'm here to do and, and make it the greatest success, it's important for me to elevate that and live to that. And so I started blocking time out and I realized that there was, there was a handful of clients. There was a handful of people that came into my life that didn't understand that value, that value structure for me. And, and they're no longer clients. They're no longer friends. They're no longer in my life because that, that had to take precedent. Mel, why do we all seem to do this? I think we've all woken up and had this moment, at least those of us that are hard drivers and, and trying to be successful why do we always seem to abandon our why or the above the line stuff as you phrase it? Why do we get so caught up on profit and revenue instead of family and memories and experience? I think that we take for granted those things that are close to us because we assume that they're always going to be there. Mm, we do. You're right. We, we totally just assume, well, when I get home, the wife and kids are there and I need to go out and, and earn this profit right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yet, and it's, it doesn't take a monumental, I mean, you talk about quality versus quantity. I think here, it doesn't take a monumental, um, amount of time. It takes the quality of your presence, the quality of doing this. You know, we, uh, with Jeremy, we started to block time out on the calendar. He knew, even though I was traveling and speaking, he knew that my time with him was blocked out. And there would be other time, but those times on the calendar were his. And my wife and I still do that today. You know, we mark out our calendars for our time together to get away, whether it's just hanging at the beach for three days, shutting down, or going like we're going to this year we're going to be going to Lisbon for for eight days, and 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 so we do we we block out time on a quarterly at least a quarterly basis to kind of reconnect, to reflect, to rejuvenate, and and uh, and move forward. And and I think that we don't we assume that we're going to have that time going forward. And I can tell you, um, being totally transparent, that just with something that happened today with my, my mom, who's, you know, she's up there in years in her eighties and she's got a, pro she's got a problem kidney. And, and the doctor called us today and, and said, you know, we got to look at this cause there might be, she might have dialysis in her future. And, and that, that once again, brought up this whole thing of, of, you know what, our time is limited. And, and are some of these things that we think are so important, really that important? It's really interesting because I struggle with this. I struggle with the balance and that kind of thing. So my wife and I, we don't have kids yet. We've built in things like fried date. We've built in our protected mornings. We've got this literally non-negotiable rule that whether we feel like it or not, every single night at the end of the workday, 
um, we go for a three mile dog walk so we can reconnect, you know, as, as lovers, instead of just people that are out there grinding after goals. And I think it's really important that people build in or block out these things that they want to prioritize. Have you seen a, a pattern of that shifting? Cause I also feel like we're living in a time of, and Gary, I love Gary Vee, so this is not a knock, but it's, you know, the message of work harder, work longer, kick butt, you know, it's, it's like all over out there right now. It, it is, it is. And I, and I think that, um, I think emotionally, spiritually, and, and just fulfillment wise, they're going to find themselves bankrupt. They're going to find themselves in a situation where they go, how did I, how did I get here? Um, success to me is a holistic view. It's not, I got a lot of commas in the bank account. Who cares about the commas in the bank account? If I don't have my health, if I don't have someone to share it with, if I'm, if I'm crappy to other people. And, and I mean, I, I, I love the fact that you and your wife take the time to, to do that, to spend the time in that way. I remember, a. I was struggling with in a relationship before my wife, uh, and I remember someone telling me this, and it just rings so true in today's digitally, what I call digitally dysfunctional, disconnected world, um, in the sense of, he said, he said, a woman doesn't want to know that you love her. A woman wants to feel that you love her. And if you ask the question, am I, how am I making her feel loved or, or having her feel loved today? We might show up differently, just like the legacy question, just like that. And I, and I, I bring that back to business and say, if I looked at the people I serve, the customers, the market, the tribe, the people that follow us, what am I doing to connect with them at a level that they feel cared about, that they feel thought about, that they feel loved? Because we've done a horrible job in social media in the sense that we have replaced connection with contacts, thumbs up, and likes. And we need to come back to the fact that there is, everything is, is H to H business. It's human to human. And the more we can make, have people feel connected, the more that people feel cared about, the more we all grow and we all get better from it. Wow. What a great conversation. We could just literally end it right there and everyone's lives would be infinitely <laughs> better. I love it. I want to switch gears just a little bit here. We already mentioned that, you know, you and Brendan Bouchard are like brothers. You also work with a lot of other big names. What's the common thread that makes these guys and yourself such success stories. What do you all share that's made you guys just crush it? Um, I'm going to say generosity and genuineness. I love it. I mean, the first part is what this show is all about, so I can't wait to go there. But go ahead and expand on both those for me. Well, I think that um, you know the generosity part is just giving because you know it's the right thing to do giving because you know it has a positive impact giving because someone needs to hear the message someone needs to have the tools someone is starving struggling or just surviving and you have the opportunity i remember the kids that i had at the karate school i had a martial arts uh, studio for uh, over a decade and i used to tell them the 
the idea of the words, it's not my job, need to be stricken from your language. Because if you have the ability, you have the responsibility. We don't walk by, we give a hand, we do things to help. And I think that if we simply showed up with a feeling of generosity of how can I give today? How can I help today? I think that that changes. And, and, I, and I look at people and it's really easy to look at some of the people like a Brendan Bouchard and go, oh, he's doing really well. And But I've known Brendan before he started doing really well. Uh, you're looking at a James Wedmore and Amy Porterfield and, and all these people that are out there. Um, Bill, Mar I mean, Bill Marriott, I spent and had lunch with Bill Marriott. Here's a guy who, I mean, Marriott, the Marriott story is is a crazy good story, starting as a root beer float stand in Washington, D.C., to this, this huge, huge thing. And here's a guy who says, unless I'm traveling on business, I'm home every night to have dinner with my wife. Wow. That guy's got it right. Yes. And I think that generosity, that that feeling uh i was listening to uh a thing with dave ramsey and, and it was an unfortunate story he tells about one of his employees whose wife and baby were killed in a car accident and he said i gotta go tell him and they find out that this this employee is offside 100 miles away 100 miles away setting up for an event and he says this this is not happening on a phone and he he chartered a private jet Wow. And, and I think that when you see people um, serve with a sense of generosity, meaning for me, generosity in the sense of not not doing it with with another hand behind your back, hoping for something in return, but doing it because you care about someone. I think that's that's what sets some of these these these. I think what it does is it shifts it from people that are flashing the pan to those that have longevity in the industry. Yeah, it gives you your staying power. What role has generosity played in your success, Mel? Uh, for me, I, you know, I am, I am the, and, they, and all my friends will tell you this. I am the absolute worst at asking for help, but I am the first. Me too. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, I'm the first that will go and help. And so, like, like I said, I mean, I fly up to these events at my own expense. I volunteer my time to serve people. I will get on phones with people. I will I will do that. But I, I feel like, you know, at some point it'll come back. And I'm and if I have that opportunity to be able to make a difference, then so be it. I, I'll pick up the phone and I, I mean I'll I'll pick up the phone for a customer that sends an email. And I this young lady, she um, Nikki, uh, uh, she uh, sent me an email. And I literally picked up the phone and and called her. And she didn't pick up the phone. She didn't understand. She didn't know who the number was. And then she sends me an email. She goes, oh, my God, I can't believe you called. I can't believe you called. She goes, I was like a 16-year-old running around the house. My kids were trying to figure out what the heck just happened. <laughs> and, and, you know, you hear that. And, and I think that, that that goes back to this connection piece. And I think when someone needs something, you know what? What's wrong with picking up the phone? Am I too big to pick up the phone? Hell no. Why do you think guys like you and I have such problems asking for help? Like what, what's, <laughs> what's behind that? Because, and here's why I bring it up. I'm just like you. I will help, 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 help. But when I need something, it's almost, I don't know if it's, actually it's probably pride. It's probably pride or ego. Like no, everything's fine over here. I don't need anything. What do you think it is? I, I think there's a little bit of pride and ego to it, but I think the other side of it for me is I don't ever want someone to, 
I don't ever want someone to ever feel like I'm either taking advantage of a friendship or relationship um, and, and or or that they look at it and go, oh, so now you're cashing in type of a thing. And the funny thing is, is one of my good friends, um, James Wedmore, uh, we, we had this conversation at the end of the year and, and he says, you need, this is going to be the year of Mel. You're going to need to ask for help. I said, well, I don't want to impose. I don't want to, you know, and he says, you know, he says, that's actually insulting. And I said, what do you mean insulting? He says, you're insulting me to think that I don't have the capacity and the capability to set the proper boundaries if you cross them. Oh, that is a good lesson for me and for the listeners. <laughs> Mic drop. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that. Wow. That's a fascinating answer. That's pretty good. So are you going to start asking for help more if this is the yeah, year I, of asking for help? You know what? I have. I've, I have actually asked for asked for help. I actually, for the first time, even reached out to a, to a number of people that I did work with. I said, would you be willing to do a testimonial? Because I, I wouldn't openly ask for it, but I literally reached out to them. And so, so I'm getting better at it. You know, we're, we're only in, we're only at the beginning of the year. I got some time, but I'm getting better at it. It's a muscle. It's like a muscle you have to exercise. Now you work with a ton of people and this is a good segue from asking for help. Um, you work with a ton of people, really high end people, but also people who are just starting out their brand and, and starting out, you know, becoming an influencer, so to speak. Yeah. Everybody gets stuck. What's the common thread you've seen where people seem to get stuck the most? Gosh, our own. Uh, can I use? Can I use crap on this? Yes, but I, I guess you use any word you want. Okay. Um, I mean, it's our own crap. Uh, I mean, even myself, I find myself that that it's not it's not good enough. I'm not expert enough. Um, you know, who wants to listen to me? I mean, look, I held on to the Entrepreneur Solution, my book. I held on to it from 2010. The manuscript was done. We didn't release it until 2015. Because I sat there saying, oh, who wants to, there's plenty of entrepreneur books out there. Well, you know what? Here's the thing, especially in this thought leader, expert, influencer space. You know, you mentioned, you, you mentioned Gary Vee earlier. Hmm. You know, great guy. He's got his, his thing. There's Gary Vee. There's, there's Simon Sinek. There's Seth Godin. There's, there's Brennan Bouchard. There's James. There's me. There's you. We all have our different way. And you know what? Gary V's audience may not be the right people for me, but there's a whole bunch of people that they look at Gary V and say, I don't resonate with him. I resonate with you. And we got to realize that there's an audience for every perspective. There's an audience for each one of us. And, and I just did, did a, a thing on this today that in, in the expert, in the influencer space, there truly is no competition. There may be competitors, but there is no competition because what we bring to the table, Chris, what you bring to the table is based on your unique DNA, your journey, your experience, your wisdom. And there is no other Chris out there with that same DNA. And we may have other people that are carrying a similar message, but they're presenting it differently. They have different frameworks. They have different outcomes. They have a, a different way about them. That creates a situation that, that it's not about, I got to capture a portion of the market. I just got to find my market. God, that's such good stuff. It's true. We all say, oh, someone's already been there, done that. Except people don't hear 
you know, the way you may some, say something, they may not hear it. The way I say the exact same thing, they may hear it differently. It's We have to own our strengths and put them out there for those that need to hear it the way we would say it. Absolutely. We need to just step into it and know that there's good. Look, I had some guy on one of my videos today post something. Oh, snake oil salesman. Well, clearly we're not in the same game. <laughs> okay. And he's doing it on a video that's got over 70,000 views. Yes. So, hey. You know, and I know that I'm not going to resonate with those, but here's the other analogy that I look at in our world is, you know, we've got traffic lights. There's red, yellow, and green. What's the most dangerous light on the street? I'm guessing it's, green. No, yellow. Ah, because it's indecisive. Exactly. So what I want on their marketplace is I want people at the green light saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. Or at the red light saying, this isn't for me. I don't want to be in the indecisive stage because in that moment, as an individual, as an entrepreneur, a thought leader, a thoughtpreneur, as I call them, I have to spend a lot of time and effort convincing them rather than standing in my conviction of the results that I can get saying, listen, I know that I can help you craft your content, position yourself as an influencer and get you out there in a distinct way. You got to do some work. Here's how I do it. Okay. And then simply just let them decide, are you at the red light or the green light? Mm, that's so good. You've got an academy where you help people do this. What are the couple things you teach that are unique? Um, for me, I think first the process itself uh, is, is unique. I, one of the things that I realize is that we can go out there and a lot of, and, and I know my marketer friends are going to just freak when I say this, but you know, your marketing actually doesn't matter in, 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 in business if your positioning is correct. And, uh, and what I mean by that is that I can get all the kind of the marketing tactics, tools and, and strategies and all these little like fad things, whether it's launches, challenges and videos and, and what, but you know what, if my content sucks, then the only thing I'm going to be good at is letting a lot of people know my content sucks. Oh my gosh. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> You're right. So, so what we want to do is say, let's, let's figure out the process. Let's give you a process to capture your thinking in a way that you can package it and take it to a market where they can digest it, use it and get results. And then it sets you up in a distinct way. And one of the things that we do is we help people build their signature frameworks, their proprietary processes, um, and the depth and the layers to their content. So they're not a one trick show. Because there's so many people that have, and I, and I did this, I remember my very first event, uh, my first live event. I've been doing my own live events now for seven years. Uh, and, and I had, you know, two decades or more of entrepreneurship that I wanted to give them. And I literally, for three days, just vomited entrepreneurship on them. And, and it was a ton of valuable content that they got. And it was totally useless because because I just gave them a bunch of stuff, but I didn't give them what they needed in the move moment to move them to the next stage. And so what we want to do is, so the process that we create does a couple of things. It allows us to layer the content to allow, just like we were in school, you go to, to algebra 101, 201, 301, 401, we do the same thing. And it's not to prolong the journey, but it's to get them to their results. And if we inundate them, they'll go to overwhelm and they won't get there. So how do we package it in a way that you communicate it and they go and they got to answer three questions in my mind. They got to answer this one. They got to look at it and go, 
damn, I need it. And then second, they got to say, I need it now. And the third, and this is what the importance of capturing and packaging it properly is, they say, I can do it. Because if they say, I need it, I need it now, but they say, I can't do it, they're not buying and they're not getting the results, which means you're not serving your purpose and they're not serving their dreams. You mentioned in there, part of your, your um, the, one of the things you teach is how to package and really protect your proprietary information. I know when you presented, I think it was this past October when I saw you, I had a real wake-up call. I didn't realize how much proprietary information we had out there that was not protected. Can you speak to this a little bit? Yeah, yeah. especially in, in today's world, there's so much. We're intellectual property, pe property peddlers. I yeah, mean, we are. It's our product. It, it really is. I mean, we make a living off of our thinking. And, he, you know, we get people results by shifting their behavior by ultimately before that is shifting their thinking. So we, we, we get, we get result change by getting behavior change through thought change. And, and it's our intellectual property that gets them to that thought change. And in the challenge is this, we also live in a society that's a litigious society, especially here in, in America. It doesn't cost a lot to, to file a lawsuit. It doesn't, it, you know, so we can file and there's no penalty for frivolous lawsuits. So you're stuck defending even if it's a frivolous lawsuit. And, and so the two things we need to protect in this space as influencer, as thought leaders or thoughtpreneurs, as I call them, is that we need to protect our creation, our thinking, the, the concepts, the, the frameworks, the content, the trade trademarking and pat and, and, and copywriting. But we also need to protect our ability to create our ability to earn. So what I like to do with this, and, and I, obviously I can't give legal advice because I'm not an attorney, but the bottom line is that we need to recognize that everything we create has value. And if we allow someone to have the opportunity to take that away from us, either in a frivolous lawsuit or a real lawsuit, then we also allow them to take away our future our dreams and our ability to serve. Wow. And so we, we really need to think about just the same as these, the storefront locks the doors so people can't get in and take stuff off the shelves. We got to figure out how do we lock the doors on our intellectual property so people can't get in and take it off the shelves. Really important advice for people to sit and, and think about because the majority of entrepreneurs these days, like you said, they're just peddling information. And it's valuable, but boy, they just don't realize how easy it is to end up in trouble doing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, we've talked about generosity, but we really haven't talked about money that much. And, and I want to go there just real briefly, because obviously you're a big believer in profit and revenue and all that. Um, how did you view money growing up? Let's start there. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I came from a, uh, you know, my dad was a, uh, you know, white collar worker. He was a, a chemical plastics engineer in the aerospace industry. So, you know, he was a, he was in the paycheck economy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, for some reason, just got the bug of entrepreneurship early on. At 11 years old, I was actually doing magic shows as a clown for kids' birthday parties for, you know, 50 bucks a, a party. And, and I realized that I could make money 
And I thought, all right, how do I do that? And I always knew going through school and all that, that I wanted to do something um, that gave me, it wasn't about the wealth to me. It was about, I, I saw some people that were doing well. It was about the richness and the peace of mind that I could get. Oh, wow. That'll, that'll stick in your DNA growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that what I didn't, I remember dad coming home and, and we, we lost dad in 2010, but I remember dad coming home one day and I had some great parents and, and, uh, you know, dad worked really, really hard, but I remember him in tears one day because I, I don't even remember what it was that, that, uh, we wanted, but he, he was in tears because he felt like he was letting us down because he, he felt like he couldn't provide that for us. And I, and I, I just remember it was, I was sitting in the room next to my parent. My bedroom was next to my parents' bedroom and, uh, and sitting on the windowsill and, and seeing my dad cry. It's like one of the only times I remember him crying and, and I, and I knew, and I said, uh, I never wanted to feel that. I, I never wanted to, to do that. So I wanted to figure out how do I, how do I m make the money? Not because I wanted to keep score, but because I wanted the freedom to be able to say, you know what, we can write the check and we'll just get on with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it makes so many problems go away if you can position yourself that way. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. All right. So I've got a couple signature questions left, but before yep. I ask them of you, where can we find you? You know, people are going to want to tap into your program. They're going to want to follow you. They're going to want to get advice. Where's the best place? Uh, well, they, they always find me on, on my website, melabraham.com. The other thing that uh, we can do is they can uh, learn about the Thoughtpreneur Academy at thoughtpreneuracademy.com also. Um, and I have some free training in, in my own Facebook group called Influencers Dojo, where we, we will do things about people that want to get their message out in the world and, and, and how, to, how, to, uh, how to do that. That's awesome. Everybody check those things out, especially the free stuff like that. I mean, we live in a time where you can learn so much from the free stuff that people are, are first offering. And then once you've exhausted those lessons, dive into the stuff that, you know, is, is for sale. It's, there's Absolutely. no excuses anymore. Is there? No, I mean, our access to, um, to stuff these days is, is really, really amazing. Not only our access to getting stuff, but our access to getting stuff out there is, is huge. I mean, if you have, if you have a current, somewhat current smartphone, you've got a publishing platform, you've got a radio station, you've got a TV station, you've got everything you need to go out there, be influential, get your message out in the world and have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. No excuses. All right. Last two questions. And this yep. first one is really meant to inspire. It's meant to kind of start that chain reaction of giving, right? So what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? This goes back to 2006. I was in South Africa. I was on a, a charity tour and we were at an orphanage. I walked into this orphanage in South Africa and there was this little, um, boy, five years old, was across the room. We didn't speak the language. I didn't speak the language. He didn't speak the language. And he came running across the room. And it's the only picture that's in my book that isn't a diagram. And it's of me holding him. He would not let me go the rest of the afternoon. And here was this kid that, for me, we, we took 
supplies over there to the orphanage. We took soccer balls that could have been gold bullion to some of the teens. We brought computers into the learning center, but this little boy wouldn't let me go. And, and, and I found out that six months earlier, they had picked him up off the streets. He was left there naked and to die. Oh. And in that moment, you realize that, you know, language barriers, distance barriers, um, all of that stuff really didn't matter. All he wanted, and maybe this is full circle with Jeremy, is someone to be present with him. Yeah. And uh, and I and I and I still have that picture. It's the one picture that I I, I made the publisher. I said I want one photograph in the book, and it's of that little boy because at the in the end of the book, that's what I'm saying. We're in business to do to have an impact. Wow, incredible answer. Next question: Why should people be unapologetic? about their pursuit of wealth and success? Wow, that's a great question. I think because the intent behind it, if the intent behind it is generosity and serving, then then what? I don't know what, where in society we have demonized those that make money. Now, I can name a number of folks that, that money isn't going to make us happy. Uh, money isn't going to... Uh, give us health. Money isn't going to give us a life. Money is going to give us money. It's a scorecard. But, but what I look at for me is, is at least personally, I look at it as a, I'm totally unapologetic about it because I want to create experiences for my wife, myself, my, my clients, my customers, the people I serve. I want to be able to serve them at a level that I, that, that I want to be able to to have that impact. And I think that when we come at business, when we come at business, we come at our world from the perspective of as we grow, we get to give more, we get to show more, we get to be role models, we get to show up differently, then I, I, I see no apologies necessary. And if we do it with the ethics, we do it with integrity, we do it with the proper intent, Get on with it because you know what? There's a whole lot of selfish people that 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 don't see it that way. And there's a whole lot of struggling people that are just dying for someone to lead them. And I think that we ought to just step up and let's make it happen. Wow. Mel, epic answer. Matter of fact, epic interview. I can't thank you enough. I just from the time I saw you on stage to right now, you continue to impress, you continue to amaze, and you're just a gift, not just in the entrepreneurial world, but quite honestly, to everybody that you come across. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. It took us a little bit to get on, but I'm glad we've had this chance to chat. Better late than never, my friend. Let's not make it a habit of taking too long this next time. You got it. Perfect. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.